Huntsville, Alabama in 1946, a city that was as American as Apple Strudel. From LA Times Studios comes Paperclip, a podcast sponsored by Amazon Studios and inspired by its Emmy-eligible dramatic series, Hunters, starring Al Pacino and Logan Learman. Join host Michael Ian Black as he teams up with a Cold War scholar to explore Operation Paperclip, a real-life, top-secret program that brought Nazi scientists to the American heartland to work on government aerospace and medical research projects. Available now on Apple Podcasts and all other platforms. Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of media and entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, business editor for Variety. Today, my guest is Blair Briard, a veteran producer known for her work on such auteur-driven series as Louie, Baskets, One Mississippi, and Better Things. Briard takes us through the work done by the New York Producers COVID Response Alliance to develop safety protocols for the happy day when the industry gets the green light to resume production in New York City. We're problem solvers, she says, matter-of-factly, sounding like the seasoned line producer that she is. Blair Briard, film and television producer. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me to your to your uh, podcast. Uh, pleasure to be here. No problem. Um, you know, we're we're both in New York right now, and and New York is the you know epicenter of all things at all the time. Uh, in this in this season here, we have been the epicenter of COVID nineteen. Um, hopefully, hopefully, seeing a little light at the end of that tunnel. And Blair, you have been very involved with an organization that has come together called the New York Producers COVID Response Alliance. You have been you and and a lot of your confederates in the in the producing trenches have come together and put pen to paper to come up with some guidelines in an effort to kind of make the New York production community shovel ready for when the day when the happy day comes that people can get back to work. Tell us um, tell us about sort of the impetus for the for the COVID Response Alliance. Like how did it come together? Well, I guess about six or seven weeks ago, I'm sort of losing track of time. Uh, a few of us um, producers in New York decided that we really needed to get together and start putting together kind of best safety practices uh, with a New York focus. So we're a group of experienced producers and production managers in the New York film community. And we just felt like, let's start let's get in front of this and start talking about it amongst ourselves because one thing that we do well is problem solve. I mean, shooting in New York is a very unique and specific challenge. Um, Everyone in the group has kind of cut their teeth growing up in New York as a producer, production manager. So I think we're, we're well positioned to, to address the very specific challenges of shooting in New York. So if you put the COVID lens in front of that, we just, a handful of us started talking and said, we've got to start being proactive and thinking about how we get back to work when we get back to work. And how do we do that safely? Because safety is a really, really important thing in our business and, and, it, and it takes many forms. Obviously, this is a new thing that none of us have ever encountered. 
But we started reading all the documents that were out there, the recommendations that were out there, and just felt like it was kind of on us to put together um, a safety practices, a document that, that illustrated safety practices as we understand them at the moment um, as a guide to also say to the rest of the filming community in, in, you know, in LA or wherever, we get it, we understand what the problems are and we are thinking about it. We wanna be in front of it. We want to have proactive solutions as members of our very small, really, and unique community here in New York to, um, to, to send out the message that we have a plan. We are thinking about this and uh, we wanna be partners in, in figuring out the best and safest way to go back to work. So, so that's us, we're the New York Producers COVID Response Alliance. We're very agnostic, we're Sweden in the <laughs> middle of, uh, of all the org organizations out there because everybody, all unions and studios and, and AMPTP and everybody are, are working on putting to, everybody is working on putting together safety practices. But as a New York group, we really felt like we have a unique view into the specific challenges of New York. So um, we've put together a, a document of safety practices which we know will change and grow as we continue to get more um, updated medical information and, and recommendations from the CDC and government agencies. Um, but we, we just wanted to start the conversation and be in the front of it. Yeah, and do something proactive. Totally. Yeah, that and and for for producers that are used to making things happen, that is no no surprise. What did you find to be like the biggest? challenges given the given the conditions of filming well you really have to extrapolate sort of all the threads and the strands of what goes into a production you know it's a very it's like a wheel and there are many many spokes so we started at the beginning what is what's in the script because we're you know the script is the roadmap it is the it's the architecture right it's this it's what you have to figure out how to make. So we start started with creative thoughts about what what's it like to tell a story? How do you tell a story? What do you need to tell a story? And we went through every single aspect of production from the script through post-production and delivery. How do you prep? How do you socially, how can you be socially distant? And, you know, when you're on a stage and there are, <clears throat> excuse me, people around a camera and pushing a dolly and watching things on the monitor and actors who are standing next to each other who really can't wear a mask when they're working. So I think the, the, the trickiest thing is how to keep people safe when they're actually standing on the set rolling cameras. Right. We all feel like there's a way to figure out how to um, keep people safe and prep, how, who can work remotely, how to stagger um, times for people to show up in the office, how to maybe change uh, the schedule and prep so not everybody is working at the same time every day. <clears throat> Those things are a little bit easier to figure out it's the actual filming itself, <clears throat> excuse me, that is, um, that is a little trickier, but you really can, when you get down to it, 
construct, like what is the most basic number? What is the minimum number that you need to actually roll a camera, move the camera with actors in front of it, with them being lit? And um, that's that's the hardest part. But I, I feel like there are real conversations, constructive conversations going on about how you do that in the place that is the most difficult to be socially distanced, which is right on the set. Right. You can move a lot of people off the set. We, we do it. You say, this is a closed set. We're having an intimate scene. Only the most necessary personnel can be here for the scene. So it's sort of using that model, the closed set model mm-hmm. for all the filming. But within that, how do you keep those people safe? So that's sort of the heart of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there are some inevitable, difficult conversations with IOTSE, with the DGA coming in terms of, you know, that question of what's the minimum number of people, those jobs, you know, there's a potential here for, for job classifications that have traditionally been part of sets to, to either be in a diminished role or, you know, not on the set at all. As, as, as everybody knows, you know, the, the crews are all governed by, by very thick and specific contracts. Is that, do you anticipate, do you have a sense, like, will there be, you know, will, will there be conflict if there is an effort to, to, to make crews smaller? Or do you think that the, that there, the unions will be amenable to understanding the goal of getting, you know, getting people back to work as much as, as much as possible and as quickly and as safely as possible? I do believe very strongly that the unions and the guilds ultimate goal is to get people back to work. I do believe that, you know, everyone will have a slightly different approach, but I do believe that everyone is amenable to figuring out how we have to change and, and be flexible in working in, in, in the post-COVID environment. It's probably, hopefully, not going to last forever, but it will be at least an interim period where we're going to go back to work and we're going to have to um, alter the way we work. So in terms of there being a reduction in basic staffing and minimum requirements, I actually don't think that will ultimately happen because if you have a certain number of people on set, you're going to need a certain number of people supporting them offset, whether it's cleaning equipment, prepping the equipment, dropping it inside, taking stuff outside. We've had many, many conversations about this. And I think what will happen is the footprint will be reduced on set. I'm not sure the actual number of people being required to get the job done will be reduced because there's going to be a lot more to do. I think that the length of the day, for example, will be altered because we're going to have to do testing or some kind of screening. We're we're not entirely clear about how that's going to be, but we know that there's going to be a process at the beginning and the end of every day, whether it's Um, making sure that people are wearing their PPE or taking it off properly or disposing of it properly or getting their temperature checked or whatever. So we, 
there is a feeling that there will still be a kind of ecosystem within the set. It just may mean that there are fewer people on set, but we're not necessarily thinking that there are going to be fewer people overall employed. I, we, we actually think it might take more people to get the same amount of work done, if that makes, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, oh, it absolutely does. Um, obviously, another big question mark here is cost. There's going to be a cost for PPE. There's going to be a cost for monitoring for probably things that, you know, no, that nobody's even thinking about right now. Have, you know, have those conversations been had? I mean, is it going to be that you're going to have a COVID line item that is going to have to have a couple of zeros behind it? I think that's what's going to happen. I think there's been a kind of widespread acknowledgement, at least in our, you know, kind of off the record conversations with studios and, and streamers and, 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 you know, the people who are dealing with the numbers that there has to be a cost. We're going to have to buy, we're going to have to purchase PPE for everybody. It's going to have to be replenished daily, weekly, what have you. Um, and there's going to be extra time to deal with those things which means maybe you end up having to add some days to your schedule to get the work done because right. you can't get it all done in the same day. So I think there's a, there's a pretty widespread acknowledgement that there's going to be a, a direct financial cost. There's also, I think everybody feels very strongly that we're going to have to have a dedicated, uh, qualified health and safety supervisor or some kind of person that is uh paid for to be to to monitor or support uh the crew and cast health and safety there's no way that that duty can be or that task can really be absorbed by existing crew we need qualified medical professionals who really know what they're doing and they're right. going to have to get paid. And I think that that's, uh, that's just going to be one of the additional costs of, of, of being in business and keeping people safe. We'll be right back. Huntsville, Alabama in 1946, a city that was as American as apple strudel from LA times studios comes paperclip a podcast sponsored by Amazon Studios and inspired by its Emmy-eligible dramatic series, Hunters, starring Al Pacino and Logan Learman. Join host Michael Ian Black as he teams up with a Cold War scholar to explore Operation Paperclip, a real-life, top-secret program that brought Nazi scientists to the American heartland to work on government aerospace and medical research projects. Available now on Apple Podcasts and all other platforms. Welcome back to Strictly Business. What has been your sense of like where city and state officials are about, you know, dealing with the production community's needs? Obviously, you know, they have very, very high priorities, but do you feel like that there is um, att attention being paid to this, to the production community and their needs? Are people, are people listening to what you're saying at City Hall or in Albany? I do think that um, there is an, uh, an understanding that the film industry is a vital industry in New York City and in New York State. Um, we are 
in conversations with uh, the governor's office of film and television, uh, the mayor's office that deals with uh, film and television. Um, and I, I, there is an understanding that this is an industry like any other industry in New York. So whether it's the restaurant industry, the trucking industry, the industry of universities, the um, the farming industry, we're one of the spokes in the wheel of an industry in New York. We bring a tremendous amount of revenue uh, to New York, as we know. And um, so, so there is there is attention being paid. I think, like all the other industries, we will be asked to come up with um, uh, what are I think is being referred to as white paper um, and uh, that outlines how we will protect our industry and, our, and the workers in our industry. So I think we're a spoke in the wheel and we are being paid attention to because we're being very proactive and having a very strong voice and saying, hey, don't forget about us because we are, we're, we're a big piece of the pie. So I do feel like we're being heard and there is, and right now it's sort of like, are we in phase three or are we in phase four? You know, someone said, oh, we're entertainment, we're in phase four, but we actually make entertainment. We're, we are not, you know, we're not the, we are the thing that people go to see. So we have to make right. it. So we're, we, we think we might be in phase three, which is manufacturing. I, I don't, I'm not personally aware if that's been confirmed yet. Um, <clears throat> But like all the under, other industries, we're trying to come up with our plan, which is this is how we keep worker safety. So please let us go back to work. Because we're ready. <laughs> did the producers group, did you have any kind of forum for producers talking or did this alliance really come together like out of the crisis? This particular alliance really came together out of the alliance. There are... You know, New York is, doesn't have the hugest film community. I, I feel like I know almost everybody. I've been doing this for 28 years. I feel like I know most of the people working in the New York film community. So I, you know, and so there are a lot of us who just trade information regularly. We just check in with each other. And it was sort of out of that kind of, hey, how's it going? How's it, what's happening with your permitting process? Are you working in a neighborhood that's a hotspot? How can we you know, how can we help solve this problem or that problem? We're really, we're problem solvers. So it just came out of that sort of very loose kind of network of colleagues and friends who work in the business in the city. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, um, of course, New York City has a lot invested in production and they have a very expansive mayor's office of media and entertainment. Have they been, have they been proactive? Have you, have they, if you had a good dialogue with them, do you feel like they're on it? Absolutely. We've had a very good dialogue with them. And I mean, they have a lot, they have a lot to deal with. So w part of what we want to do is take some of that burden and say, we're thinking through these problems, use us as a resource to help problem solve. Like if we've got an issue, you know, in a neighborhood and, and you can imagine a neighborhood might be thinking we don't want a film crew or a television crew with all these people, random people coming into our neighborhood in this COVID world. So let's talk about which one of us can start liaising with the community board from that, um, from that neighborhood. That helps alleviate some of the burden on the mayor's office. We just want to be a helpful problem-solving resource 
because we're the ones on the ground kind of dealing with this moment to moment day to day. That's a very long answer, but the mayor's office is super involved and very proactive and they really want to help. They have a lot on their plate. There's a lot to figure out uh, for them about how to move forward. So our hope is just that we can, we can help them. Do you think that this will kind of inevitably change storytelling, at least for a short, at least in the short term, change the types of stories that are told? I do think it will have an effect on the stories that are being told, at least in the short term. And I, I think that's okay. I think throughout the history of storytelling, people have had to work within whatever the limitations were of the day, of the moment, of the time, of the location, of the place, of the budget. So, yeah, I think it will have an effect on storytelling. But again, as, as producers, our job is to say, like, how can we, how do we figure out how to tell this story? Okay, maybe telling this certain kind of story is something that's going to be not really possible in September, <laughs> you know, maybe it'll be possible in January. Um, but I, I do think that sometimes adversity does lend itself to real blossoming of, of creativity. So I'm hopefully that this wall of COVID will make people turn in other ways and tell stories in a different way that'll actually help mark this moment. It could help really memorialize this moment in time that we're faced with. Absolutely. Change comes through, absolutely comes through adversity. Did you have anything that was actually shooting at the time of the sort of the great shutdown in that, that mid-March period? I did not. I shot a pilot in uh, January so we were in the post-production process. We shut down post and, and, and did finished everything remotely, um, which has its own challenges of trying to be, you know, how do you do a sound mix? How do you do a color correct? Um, how do you look at it uh, on, a, on a monitor that's really calibrated to show you what the color is going to look like? How do you right. stay in a room with someone and hear what those layers of sound really sound like if you don't have a state-of-the-art sound system at home. Right. So, so it had its own challenges, um, but it wasn't like the people who literally closed their stage doors and walked away and still have standing sets. I was not in that situation. So I, we're waiting to hear about whether or not this pilot gets uh, picked up to series. Um, and I've already spoken to the showrunner and said, you know, just would love it if you'd keep in mind some of the um, some of the challenges that we're that we'll face as if we get a pickup as you write, and if you have questions about what that means, talk to me and I'll I'll help you figure out how to tell the story within these limitations. And and that's really kind of I think the conversations that we'll start having is with our showrunners and our writers and our directors, like how do we, how, how do we, like what, what do you need to tell the story? Like what can we, 
take away that's extraneous without hurting the storytelling. And I think those kinds of conversations will be very common. Can you talk, Blair, about, I know, if I'm not mistaken, you kind of came up through the indie film world. Can you talk about that, you know, when you started to see the, not the shift, but the expansion of television opportunity in New York? Am I right in thinking it was about 10 or 15 years ago? Yeah, so I started in New York in the low-budget indie film world, the very kind of auteur-driven art house movie world. And at that time, you know, those were really common films. Lots of lots of people were making them. And, and it was, you know, the situation was, here's $2 million, go make the film. There's no studio there. There's nobody to go to if you run out of money. You just had to figure out how to make it work with what you had. And you had to figure out, you had to make sure you had enough money to get through post-production and delivery. So I really cut my teeth in that situation, sort of standing on the streets of New York going, well, we can't have, you know, three 50-foot lifts. We can't afford them, you know, to light up this night scene. Like, what's going on in this scene? What is the story? How do we either preserve that through alternate methods or how do we change the scene to fit within what we can afford? So I learned how to do that because that's what was happening. I mean, at that time, I don't think there was... Well, there's certainly, I, th- I think kind of most of the television that was happening in New York was, you know, daytime soap operas, the late night shows, and I don't know, maybe there were some big network series here, but they weren't on my radar because I was making movies <laughs> with <laughs> auteur directors, and some were really good and some were maybe not so good, but they were all great learning experiences, and then I started to work in sort of bigger budget features, more um, uh, studio features, and sort of learned that world as well. And it's it's easier to make things with more money than it is with less money. And I would always ask to please have more money. I don't, I don't love having no money at all, but I learned how to do that. So in February, just before things went haywire. You uh, unveiled a new deal with a New York company called Above Average Productions, and you are working with them on on launching a production services company. Production services, as we've just been discussing, it may not be the sexiest sounding part of entertainment, but literally the TV shows would not be on the air without them. Tell me what led to that partnership. Why did you team with them? Why did you team, team with Above Average Productions? Well, I think that everything works better in a partnership. And I really like being in a partnership. I work alone on on certain things, but I'm good in a partnership. It's better. There's more. You just solve. That's sort of, you know, film and television making is a really collaborative process. But I do understand something about myself, which is that I like working with other people. So I above average has been in business for over eight years and they, I, I had met um, the two people who are sort of the main people at that company at a writer's guild pitch event. And we really liked each other and we ended up sort of working with a young writer and developing a show together. And so the, the relationship evolved over about a year and a half and I we realized that we kind of shared the same values in, in filmmaking and television making um, with, uh, you know, just thinking about having 
that creative comes first and talent comes first. And there's a way to support these creative voices, even within kind of limited budgets. But I need a certain kind of support that they could really provide for me. They, they have, uh, they could provide me with backend production support and accounting and payroll and insurance, banking, guild entities, um, that sort of thing. And, and I didn't want to set up all that stuff by myself. I just like working with other people. It felt like a great fit and a great relationship. And we had been out um, uh, to LA twice before the shutdown happened and met with all the studios and all the streamers. Cause I've known a lot of those people for 20 years, more sure. 24 years. And I just had never really wanted to be in the production services business before. But one thing I began to understand about myself is that having come up through physical production, I really understand everything about physical production. I mean, maybe not everything, but I understand a lot. I have a lot of experience in physical production. Then I moved into being a creative producer and I really had the wonderful opportunity to work with writer, directors, auteurs, creators, so I could also understand the creative vision and how to make it work within the limitations of a budget because I understand the budget. So I think that the production services company and partnership for me gives me the opportunity to use all of my skills. I can be involved in everything from A to Z. It's very old fashioned. It's a very old fashioned way to be a producer. I'm not separated from the creative. I'm not separated from the physical production. And I think that that makes me a better producer. So there are lots of studios and streamers who just need partners because they're, they're creating so much content. For example, Netflix does a lot of in-house production, but they are doing so much production that they also need partners who have production services companies. Right. Amazon, Hulu, uh, Apple, you know, some HBO projects, some studio projects, not everybody has the internal mechanism to do physical production. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business. Huntsville, Alabama in 1946, a city that was as American as Apple Strudel? From LA Times Studios comes Paperclip, a podcast sponsored by Amazon Studios and inspired by its Emmy-eligible dramatic series, Hunters, starring Al Pacino and Logan Learman. Join host Michael Ian Black as he teams up with a Cold War scholar to explore Operation Paperclip, a real-life, top-secret program that brought Nazi scientists to the American heartland to work on government aerospace and medical research projects. Available now on Apple Podcasts and all other platforms.